The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Welcome to our first of six lessons or classes on church membership this morning. Uh, Just so that you know, this is the first of six. This is like an introductory this morning, and uh, we're going to get heavy into the Word of God uh, following this one, we're going to start there, but we want to really hone in on the idea of membership. And I, I hope it doesn't scare people away. The truth is, the next six weeks are not just about membership, it's about the church, about the church of Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you something. The, um, the older I get, and the more I understand the church of Jesus Christ and the body of believers, uh, I agree with Spurgeon when he said, church is the dearest place on earth. And when it is done right, it is beautiful. And when it's done wrong, it's horrific. And our prayer and our hope is that we as a body of believers will do this right. And so we, we look to the Word of God to do it God's way. And just to let you know, it's kind of interesting about the church and how it functions and how it operates. Let me just read something to you um, from Justin Martyr, who, who lived between 110 and 165 A.D., just so that you know, we're not way off base on what we're doing and what we, what we plan on doing. Here's what he says. But Sunday is a day on which we hold all common assembly, because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world, and Jesus Christ our Savior on the same day rose from the dead. For he was crucified on the day before that of Saturn, which is Saturday, and on the day after that of Saturn, which is the day of sun, or Sunday, Having appeared to his apostles and disciples, he taught them these things which we have submitted to you also for your consideration. And then he says this, On the day called Sunday, all who believe in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. This was 150 AD. It's exactly what we're doing today. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And the only difference is, I think, we might change calling pastors and elders presidents now. I think that'd be a good idea. Okay? I'm joking. Okay. It's, it's, it's early, I know, but it's, it's good. So as we work our way through this this morning, at any time, please feel free to ask a question or give input as we look at the Word of God. All right? Um, we're going to talk about being people of the book. That's where we start. Okay? And uh, we want you to know as a church, we are not just going to be pragmatic, right, so that things work, they're easy, um, not uh, dictated by our culture, or not do things just because they're easy. We ought to look at the structure of the church in accordance with the Word of God. As we look at the Word of God and the church, here's what we find. We find corporate meetings. We find electing officials. We find... Um, Discipline, contributions, administering ordinances, and qualifications for leadership. And that's the church. So, as we go through, the question is membership. What's that about? What does that mean? And so, in the next several weeks, we're going to answer these questions. Um, Is it even the Bible? We're going to be talking about membership. Is it in the Bible? Um, And if it is, where do we find it? You'll see that in the weeks to come. Then, we'll ask this question, or answer this question. If it is in Scripture, and this is a sort of spoiler alert, it is. Just that you know, it is in Scripture. If it is in Scripture, why is it significant? Why is it important? 
And how do I become a member? If it's important, if it's in the Bible, it's important, then how do I become a member of a local church? And then as a member, what are my obligations? If I'm a member of a local body of believers, believers, what, is, what are my obligations, my responsibilities to the church, to leadership, to one another? And what's the leadership's responsibility to the members of a church? And then what does this look like fleshed out? So those are the questions we'll be answering in the next six weeks. And uh, hopefully we'll answer those in a way that are biblical and help you understand what membership is. Now, the reason we tackled this subject is because we face real challenges in our culture today. In the Western world today, um, we live in a world where people want benefits without responsibility, right? We have a society of people who want the benefits of finances without working. It just doesn't work that way, right? That's not reality, but that's what we have in our world today. We have young people who want the benefits of having a job and an income, but don't want the responsibility of working, of putting in your time, of showing up, of not being the boss, right? That, that's how the world is today. We find that in marriage. People want the benefits of marriage, but not a covenant or a commitment or the responsibilities of marriage. They'll date their whole life, they'll live with, they'll sleep with, but they won't make a covenant and take care of the responsibilities of marriage. And we see that in the church. People go to a church and they love the benefits of the church. And there are real benefits to the church, but they don't want the responsibilities. And so we have to tackle this topic. What's happened in our culture is that the church has simply become another voluntary society. And too many of God's people, we think of the church as, um, it's just like the Rotary Club, or it's just like the Gun Club. And it has benefits, but if I show up, I show up, and it's no big deal. That's not the idea. And for many, the church has become a service provider what the church can do for me. And as long as the church is doing something for me, I'll be part of it. And when that run dries, I'm gone. And we see that over and over again. So let's talk this morning um, quickly about samples of some of our modern thoughts in regards to the church. And as we go through this list, do not say amen, because these are all wrong thoughts, okay? So if these are your thoughts, just be quiet. And if you have a question, we'll talk about it. But, but these are the things that we deal with in our culture today when it comes in regard to the church, and in particular, being part of a church, in a covenant with the church, in membership with the church, belonging to a church. Call it what you may. But, but here's, the, here's the thought that we, we deal with constantly. It's fine to attend a church indefinitely without joining. And there are lots of folks who say, hey, I'm going to go to that church because I really enjoy, I enjoy the social aspect. I enjoy the idea of the people there. They're really friendly. Um, I enjoy the teaching, the preaching, the music. I like the slides on the wall, which we may not have today because the power did something to them. All right? It may be interesting this morning. So if you like that, and that's the only reason you come, and you might be going after today. Okay? Um, but I enjoy that. I enjoy the picnics. Boy, I love hot dogs. And so I enjoy all of these things, and I will come to church indefinitely without covenanting with the people and being part of that church. We see that often. We see folks say things like this, I want to be baptized. And I see the power of that, I see the symbolism of that, and I've seen the testimonies, I've heard the testimonies, but I want to do that without committing to the church. Others talk about the Lord's Supper, and they say, I love the personal experience of the Lord's Supper. It's powerful, and it is. But we view it as something personal 
and not corporate. You see, the Lord's Supper is a corporate function. It's for the body of believers to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is, and then to make sure that we're living right with one another. Or they say, hey, Sundays are coming, it's hit or miss for me. And the fact is, there are times, it's summer, it's holidays, we're sick, we're going to be out of town, that's one thing. But for too many of our people, it's, hey, football season has started, hockey season is on, and, and I'm going to be gone for months at a time. You just won't see me. And it's problematic. And others talk about uh, their responsibility. They're not responsible for the well-being of others within church, physically or spiritually. Hey, I'm sorry you're struggling. I see you on Sunday. Not my responsibility. I'm not equipped for these things. That's not about me. And the last thing we'll say as far as the wrong thinking is, we tend to make major decisions without considering the effect that that will have on our relationships in church. People move and go all over the place and never think once about what impact that has on the church of Jesus Christ. And so, in the midst of all of this, when you come in late, you have to sit in the front, all right? And it's free. It's the best seat in the house. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. And so, what we want to do is look at those, 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 those problems, those areas that we have, address those things. All of those thoughts are wrong about the local church. And our prayer and hope through all of this is that we will see that the local church is the authority on earth that Jesus has given to, he's instituted, to officially affirm and give shape to our Christian life. My friend this morning, the church of Jesus Christ is where it's at. This is his institution. It is his idea. And he has given it to God's people for us today to affirm the fact that we're believers. The church does that. And it instructs and it shapes our Christian life. Um, We'll talk more about that. And so I just want you to know as we enter in now to the word of God, there was nobody in the early church. We read from Justin Martyr, you know, 150 AD. No one in the early church trusted Christ as Savior, repented and believed, and then wondered if they would be part of a local assembly. It never happened. The truth is, when someone came to Christ, it was a no-brainer. You became part of the body of Christ and you connected there, and you stayed there. It was a family, and you understood it was God's institution for his people. And this is the trouble we have today, that so many folks, even in our church, we we have this idea about church, and it's just not biblical. And so our prayer is that as we go through this, we will understand that Jesus Christ has given us the church, and the church is the authority on earth. It affirms the fact that we're believers, and then it gives shape to our Christian life. Um... The fact is, we cannot live out the dictates of the New Testament without being part of a body of believers. There are over 51 another's in the Bible. They cannot be done outside of a local assembly of committed and covenant believers together. And that's the church. And so, don't get this idea that membership or belonging or being in a covenant is not a big deal. It is a big deal. In the weeks to come, you're going to see how important it is for every believer to be connected to a local church. Okay? And so, I mean this as we go through now. If you have any questions, you say, hey, wait a minute. You said that, and you said that's the wrong way to think. But I don't, I'm not sure about that. Please ask. We want you to ask. We want you to be informed. We want you to know. And our prayer is, as we go through this, that we as a church are conformed to the image of God. I, I, don't, I don't want to have a church 
that is superficial, where people show up every now and then, or you know, we just see each other on Sunday and that's it. The church is designed for more than that. It's where we do life together. It's where we grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want. And so in the weeks ahead, we will, we will get deep into this, but I want to give you now an introduction as we look at the early church, just so that you know that what we're saying this morning is in line with the Bible. Okay, so let's look together this morning at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Any questions before we go on from what was just said? Observations? Illustrations? Confessions? Okay, let's look at, at um, Acts chapter 2 and go to verse 41 and 42. Who has that one this morning? Is that you, Joanne? Bailey? Okay, go ahead when you're there. Well, all right, here is the beginning of the early church, right? This is Acts chapter 2. And I want, to, I want you to see four things about the early church that are imper- imperative for us to get this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 41 says, And they that gladly received the word. Um, nothing starts in the church of Christ without salvation. We can't talk membership. We can't talk covenant. We can't talk belonging to the true church of Jesus Christ without salvation. And call it whatever you want. Membership, whatever. You must be born again. You must be. And, and the early church understood that in order for them to belong to this organization that Christ established, they must be born again. They must be saved. Um, they must be regenerated. And so the fact is this morning, if you're at any church and you are on the membership role of that church and you are not regenerated by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are not part of the church of Jesus Christ. It is impossible. You must be born again. And some of the things we see now in in, in the mainline churches that are dying, they're dying. They're dying because for years now, they've allowed people to become members in their church who were lost. And they became members because they were upstanding citizens in the community, they were baptized as infants, Their grandparents built that church, and so they became members of the church, and the church over time then was full of people who were unregenerated. Listen, you are not a part of the church in the truest sense of the word unless you're born again. You've you've heard the illustration. It's somewhat humorous and ridiculous, but it's true. Just because you're in a garage, it does not make you a car. And just because you sit in a church doesn't mean you're a member of a church, you must be born again. We we can't even have the conversation this morning unless you are saved. And so the first thing is is this, to be part of this institution that Christ has ordained, you must be born again. And I know for many of you, like, oh yeah, yeah, I know this, I got this. But I'm telling you something, there are tons of churches today where their membership They're not born again. And we wonder why there's conflict and problem. Because you're dealing with people who don't have a regenerated heart. They're not instructed by the Spirit of God. And so it's problematic. And so the first thing is this. To be part of a church, the true church of Jesus Christ, you must be saved. You must be born again. And I I hope you understand this morning, salvation comes through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. It's not your denomination. It's not... Um, your good works, it's not your, your social standing, it is through faith and faith alone. So, you must be born again. Here's the second thing. It says in our text, they that gladly received his word, salvation, were baptized. 
were baptized. And, and this is an area that a lot of churches will disagree on and say, don't make this an issue. Here's the problem. The Bible makes it an issue. The early believer, when they came to Christ, understood that the public profession of their faith was when they were baptized and they identified themselves with the church of Jesus Christ. It was their testimony that they had repented and believed. Um, it was how they publicly identified with Christ and his people. Mm-hmm. This, this is um, their idea that faith, their faith goes public. We, we have a lot of folks from the Re- Reformed Church um, in our midst, and we've had these conversations before about baptism, why it's important. It's important because in the early church, the first thing they did was publicly say, I am now on the team of Jesus Christ. The fact is, it's like wearing a jersey and saying, this is who I belong to. It is a public profession of your faith. And that is why infant baptism by nature is not baptism. It can't be. How many folks this morning you were baptized as an infant? I'm raising my hand because I was. Okay? All right. Okay, listen to me. If you're an infant, how did you make a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ? Most of you had no idea what was going on. For me, we grew up in a Methodist church, kind of. We were, we were sporadic there. In a Methodist church that was on the corner of our street, and my parents realized that the Methodist church said you ought to have your children baptized. And so... By that time, I was like three or four years old, and my brother was a year old. So they took my brother up to be baptized in the church. And then while he was standing there, realized I was never baptized and just pulled me up there and sprinkled me. That was, that was my profession of faith. It had nothing to do with me. I think it was cool to be sprinkled or whatever, but it, it had, there was nothing in it for me. Um, it is not a public profession. The fact is, uh, infant baptism was unknown in the early church. It wasn't until about origin that something was said, and then it was Augustine in the 4th century who made this statement that baptism washes away original sin. That was around 350, 360, 370, the first time it's mentioned. It does nothing for us. And so being part of this body is saying, I'm born again, and not only am I born again, but I'm identifying with Christ and his church through baptism. People ask us all the time about this. Are you, can I be a member? Yeah. Are you saved? Yeah. Are you baptized? Well, I was baptized as a baby. It doesn't work. And we're not trying to be just, oh, you're just being hardcore, hard-nosed. No, we're not. Because baptism says, I am now identifying with Jesus. It's a public profession. It's of the utmost importance. So we've got to be saved and baptized. Right? Any questions on that? It's a, it's a heavy topic, I know. But, but that's what we find in Acts chapter 2. And that's what we find through the Word of God. Okay. Go ahead, Steve. No, just for the record, I did profession of my faith when I was 18, mm-hmm. stating that I believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was my Savior. Yes. So that's different than baptism. Yes, it is. But just for the record. Yes, it is. Just for the record, it's different. I mentioned that, but that's how they did that. Right, and I understand that. And, and, and we see this idea of confirmation. And, and, and listen, I've not grown up in the Catholic nor the Reformed background, but I do understand that. That there comes a time at 12 or 18 that I profess this to be true. But even with that said, if that's the case then, always in the Bible, profession comes first, then baptism. Always. And, and if it could be some other way and we could... I'll tell you a story. I, the hook was on here, but I've, I've said it before. 
The Hookers were, were one of the early families to our church, probably three years after we'd started. And, and if you know the Hookers, they're beautiful people, lovely people. You, you couldn't ask for better people. And, and we were doing communion. And here's what we say at communion. If you're saved and baptized, we invite you to, to join up with us around the Lord's table. And they would never take it. And, and finally, on a Sunday night, they were kind of irritated. Believe it or not, people get irritated with me. And uh, they, were, they were somewhat irritated with me. And they said, I don't know why you say that. Why is it such a big deal? And, and why don't you let us take communion? And I just said, hey, we love you folks. That's what the Bible says. But I'd love to talk to you about this. And so here's some verses to look at about baptism. And on Thursday, Bob and I will come over and we'll, we'll talk about this. And I said to them, if I could make an exception for any individual in the world, it would be Alan and Anna Hoekstra. They're just beautiful people. But it's not my prerogative to make exceptions. I don't have that authority, nor does anyone else. And so, so here's Sunday night, and I'm thinking, ah, Hoekstra's are coming on Thursday, and we're ready for a fight. Like, rah, 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 rah. We knock on the door, and, 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 and Anna greets us at the door and says, we're being baptized on Sunday. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm ready to fight. What's wrong? And... Um, and they're like, it's in the Bible. And listen, I know for some folks, and for them, their experience was they made promises to their parents, and their parents were godly people. And I get that. But I have to believe if your parents have passed now and they're in heaven, I think they would want you to obey Jesus and not them. And so, and, and we, we're all influenced by those things. But ultimately, we are responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Steve, thank you for bringing that up. And I think that's a great point because that is the way it's done in a lot of places. But it's out of order then. And, and what we want to do is follow the order that God has given us. Yes, Joanne. You have to get re-baptized. So after the pressure of faith, you get baptized. And some folks say you should get re-baptized again. That's their formula. Yeah, I, I would say yes. I would say because that first baptism was, was not legitimate, right? And, um, and, and if you want to do it... The biblical pattern, it's like, okay, I made this profession. Before that time, I had no idea what I was doing. But now I know, and now I'm not ashamed to be identified with Jesus Christ and his people. Okay? It's a good question. Brother John? I think, too, before you, uh, I do too believe in adult baptism, but I think you've got to be careful about pushing baptism on people, saying you have to or else, even though it's a command. The issue there becomes, you, as you said, you have to have a testimony. And if you don't understand what you have done, you are not ready for baptism. You have to have a testimony. That's what it is. What I'm saying when I'm in the tank is, and that's why we, one of the best things we've ever done as a church, to be honest with you, is let people give their testimony. To stand in front and say, this is what's happened to me. Some of the most powerful services we've ever had have been people saying, this is what I used to think. This is what I was like. This is what I believed. Christ saved me. Now I am publicly professing him. And that's just it. And look with the hookstress. There was no pushing them. It would be ridiculous. Don't do this for me or to be part of this church. That's foolishness. But you ought to have a testimony that says, I trusted Christ. And therefore, because of what he has commanded, his example and his command, the first command that Jesus gives us is to follow him in baptism. Matthew 28, right? And so, and let me just tell you by experience, I have been in this for a long time now, and I have known scores of people who were ashamed or embarrassed to get baptized, and I will tell you, to a man and to a woman, they never did, they never did much for Jesus Christ. 
If you are ashamed to be identified with him, how will you follow any of his other commandments? Because that's really an easy one in our culture. I mean, we, have, we have Middle Eastern folks being baptized, right, when it's not safe because they understand they're making an identity with Christ and his church. And so this is an important point, and you're going to hear more about this in the weeks to come. But understand, the early church, it was never, I trusted Christ, I'm thinking about baptism. Because that was their testimony. And these things are inseparable. We, we try to make them, and, and thank God for the thief on the cross. I get it. Thief on the cross, today, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I will. Not baptized. He trusted Christ. That's the only way. But I promise you this. If he could have come off that cross, he would have been baptized. He would have identified with Jesus. Right? And so we gotta, we got to be careful on this. I, I, I know that so many times we don't want to say much about this. And this, by the way, this is not a Baptist doctrine. Okay, this is a Bible doctrine. And don't confuse that. One of the, one of the arguments for some of our Reformed friends when they start going to a Baptist church is, don't let them baptize you. <laughs> because they're, they're going to make you Baptist. This does not make you Baptist. This makes you obedient. Okay, and there's a big difference there. Stan? Something that's really interesting, when you're over in Italy and France, you're looking at the Catholic churches that were around 900, 1,000, 1,100. They didn't let you into the church cathedral without being baptized. And they have a smaller one inside it with the baptismal tank. And they practiced only baptism by immersion. And you had to get baptized before you could enter into the building. I'm not saying that was proper, but they recognized the biblical model yes. of baptism by immersion. Right. And it is by immersion. If, if you have any question about that, you cannot go through the New Testament and find anything other than immersion. What else gives you the symbolism of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ? It's a beautiful picture, and it's powerful. So just that you know. And again, John is right. Don't just do this. Oh, you talk about I want to be a member of the church. You have to have a testimony. You're welcome to come here as long as you'd like. But the truth is, if we're talking about membership and being serious about the Word of God and His church, this is a must. So good. Roger? I often think about um, uh, somebody who is saved very, very late in life, like in life, like talking about, them, like on their deathbed. Mm-hmm. If they were, like, if they were saved and they repented, mm-hmm. um, and there was no means to baptize this person, how would that, how would that, how would that work in the picture? In my idea of that, um, I would say that we'd go to the thief on the cross for that as well to say, the baptism is not salvation. It's, it's, it's obedience, and I think the most important thing is salvation there. And so I would say, in that case, are you, are you um, calling for maybe a sprinkling there where they could not do something like that? Is yeah, that what you're asking? Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. But, but my, the emphasis for me would always be on salvation. The most important thing is salvation. And I think the thief on the cross, we have that. And then there's a text in Mark chapter 16, um, and it's Mark 16, 16, which is a great verse, I think, for this. And maybe it helps. I don't have an answer for the sprinkling. I think it's, it's worth at least a conversation on that. Um, but I wouldn't worry about that myself because in Mark 16, 16, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And be careful now because it doesn't stop there. Okay? And people say, there you go, you've got to be baptized to be saved. But the, the very next line says, But he that believeth not shall be damned. And so I think even in Mark there, we have the thief on the cross, and here in the book of Mark 16, 16, the writer making it clear 
He that believeth and is baptized is saved, because they're really close to one another. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Baptism is left out of the picture. So I wouldn't make that, I wouldn't make that so imperative for that individual, because there are these circumstances that are out of their control. Salvation is, and I would be willing to have a conversation on what that would look like, to be honest with you. But I think for, for generally I would say that in a situation like that, I would focus on the salvation. I think the, the writers of the New Testament do that, and I think that's where I'd be comfortable as well. Mr. Manning, because you looked back at the picture. So for you, it's been, uh, you were able to see that picture and ask, why was I baptized? I was baptized because I trusted Christ, and this was the outward sign that I was identifying with him and his people. Good. I think you're right. I think you're right. Anything else on that? Good. Those are good questions. This is how the class should work. Um, we want you to ask. We want you to share. Um, it's just senseless to get up and start talking and people just vegging out and get through your 40 minutes, all right? We don't want you to do that. Yes, Mom? Amen. I think there's real truth to that, too. And, and we won't even talk this morning about the question of what age should children be baptized. That's a whole nother, you know, there's, because baptism puts you into the church, and now you're responsible as a member of the church. And we have done it, my kids were all baptized early, early, early. Um, and we have sort of thought that through and thought, maybe it's better to wait to a certain age, maybe, maybe 12, maybe 13. But I, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't know. But, but we have to think those thoughts as well. So, but baptism is a powerful topic. It is not salvation, but it is obedience, and it's identification to Christ and his church. Okay? Here's the third thing we find in, in Acts chapter 2. Now, let me get back there now. I'm in Mark still. Acts 2, he says, As many as received the word, they were baptized, and they were added to the church. I'm going to get there. I'm still not there yet. Don't want to misquote it. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And just by the writing here, it makes it clear. They were saved, they made their public profession, they identified with the church, and they were added to the church. Call it, they were members of the church. And so, the, the, and, and as you read through this, you're going to see this is the case, um, because they now are doing things together. Uh, who's got Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, who grabbed that one? Okay, here's the writer of Hebrews, and he, he's telling church people who are struggling, they're suffering, they're thinking about bailing. He says, don't do that. In Acts 2, they were ba- they're saved, baptized, they join the church, they continue with the church. And in Hebrews, he's saying, don't stop showing up. Be there, gather together. And so, if you're going to be part of God's church, you must be saved, baptized, you must attend. Listen, this is very important. Once we choose Christ, we must choose his people. Uh, I don't know who said it. I think it was John Wayne who said, I like, I like God until you put him under a roof. And the idea was, God's cool, people are not, right? And I understand that more and more, all right, that, that people are problematic because we're all humans. But you, you cannot choose Christ and not choose his people. There's no way to learn to love, to accept, to grow without having people like you in our lives and like me because we're sinners and we rub each other the wrong way and iron sharpens iron. It's a terrible picture of, of how we clash against each other. But the truth is, it's God's plan. So once we choose Christ, we must choose his people. Um, there is no such thing as inactive members. No such thing. Church roles that say, yeah, they're inactive. Well, how long have they been active? 20 years. No, 
No, no, there is no such thing as inactive members. Uninvolved members confuse believers. So you're telling me you trusted Christ, you were baptized, and now you want nothing to do with this church. It's really confusing because that's not God's plan. We see it in Acts, we see it in Hebrews, we see it all through Scripture. We attend, we show up. And if, you're, if you are inactive for a year, then if you're inactive for a month, someone should be finding out what's going on in your life. If we love you and we love it, one another, and you're gone for a month, or you're gone for six months and no one called you? No one, that's none of my business. Wrong. If we covenant together and you name the name of Christ and you identify with his church and his people, it is our business. It's your business. It's my business. And those people should be called back to repent and come back into fellowship or they should be disciplined. And say, listen, if, if, you're, if you're not fellowshipping like you ought to be fellowshipping, then you're not an, a member of our church, right? Something's going on in your heart and life. And so believers attend there is no way to know if you're running the race, if you're living holy, if you're obedient to Christ, if you're not here. How do we know that? You have to attend. Okay? And then, finally, this morning, John 13, 35. All right. You want to be part of the body of Christ? You've got to be saved. You've got to be baptized. You've got to attend. You've got to love people. You have to love people. We cannot call ourselves Christians without being committed to loving relationships with other Christians. And this is a hard part of the church, but it is the church. Um, this is interesting. This is from Mark Dever. One of my, it's a great quote about loving each other and interaction with the church. He says this, If your life is not marked by loving other believers, okay, so you just check yourself on it. If your life is not marked by loving other believers, the Bible gives us no encouragement to think that you are a believer. That's First John. If our lives are not marked as Christians who are saved, baptized, attending a church, by loving one another and having loving relationships with people in this place that have covenanted together, the Bible gives you no guarantee that you're even a believer. Because I love God who I have not seen. He's cool. But you, I, now, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. No, John says there's no way. You've lied to yourself. Don't, don't tell me you love God if you can't love flesh and the people that he's put in the body of Christ. And so this is what a church is. And, and what we desire is to have a church that is like the first century and like her Savior. As we hear the word of God, as we listen and follow, as we do, the church begins to look like the one she is following. And as we are committed to the Word of God in this idea of what a member is, really what a church is, as time goes on, we as a people begin to look like Jesus Christ. And that's our heart, and that's our goal, and that's our desire. And so listen to me. Lots of folks in this room, this is not, yeah, I got this. This is a no-brainer. But I think you ought to be coming for the next five weeks to understand your, your obligations, your responsibilities toward leadership, toward one another, and leadership and, and each other's responsibilities to you. It's important. And we don't want a superficial church. We want a church that, that is in line with Scripture and that we are growing into his likeness. And so our prayer over the next five weeks now, as this short introduction, I hope, lets you know where we're going, is that we want to understand what the Bible says about membership, we want to understand why it's important to us, uh, how it's fleshed out in our lives, and that we can be transformed. 
into the image of Jesus Christ as a body of believers. That's our prayer. Thank you for being here this morning. Are there any questions or comments on what we talked about this morning? Something that you thought, eh, I don't know, don't understand. Can you clarify this? This was an introduction, and uh, we're going to work through now, going through specific passages now for the next five weeks on where we find it in the Bible, what it looks like, our responsibilities and obligations to one another. Okay? And then how it's fleshed out. At the, at the very end, we'll talk about, okay, so what does this look like in real time? That, that's our plan, and that's our hope this morning. All right? Okay, let's have a word of prayer. There's still coffee here. And, and our prayer, we're trying to get you out by quarter till so that you can have time to fellowship and find a seat. So we're in good shape. So take your time, get some coffee, get some Timbits, get some water if you need it. And we'll see you in church in a moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Oh God, we thank you for your word and the power of your word. We thank you for the testimony um, from the first century of how things were done. And as we look back to say, we're striving to be like the early church. Father, help us. For all of us, as we look at this topic, um, we must examine our own hearts and lives and see where we fall in line with your word. Father, give us courage, give us grace, give us boldness. I pray that you give our church as a body the desire to be like you, um, no matter what we've heard or what we've been taught or how we've lived. But to understand the only true joy we'll ever find is in obedience to you. And so, God, as a church, I pray that you'd help us to be the kind of church that you have instructed us to be, You've given us the parameters. You've given us the guidelines. You've given us instructions. And I pray that we as a people would be courageous in our day and, late, uh, day and age to follow that instruction. And so, Lord, please bless this place. Fill us with your power. Lord, as we approach the service this morning, we don't know what to expect. I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.